0: A lot of us have our career paths planned out in our minds, and while we know it's not going to happen exactly as we planned, it's still jarring when all of a sudden we find ourselves on a different road or presented with a different opportunity than we anticipated. In this episode, the real path towards your next promotion. This is Coaching for Leaders, Episode 653. Produced by Innovate Learning, Maximizing Human Potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave stahoviak Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. One of the things that I love about our listeners and members in the community that follows this podcast is the heart that so many of us have for supporting others. And one of the best things we can do to continue to support others well is in addition to thinking about others is also being mindful about our own careers, not only where we are today, but what's the next step. Being able to move forward in our careers when that's important to us is critical. And today, I'm so glad to welcome someone who has had so much wonderful perspective with senior leaders across all kinds of industries. It's going to help us to really look at where the next step may be in our career and maybe even that promotion in a way that is authentic and genuine and also Maybe a little bit non-traditional from some of the advice we often hear. I'm so glad to welcome Adam Bryant to the show. He is senior managing director and partner at the Exco Group, where he works with hundreds of senior leaders and high potential executives. As the creator and former author of the iconic Corner Office column in the New York Times, Adam has mastered the art of distilling real world lessons from his hundreds of interviews and turning them into practical tools, presentations, and exercises to help companies deepen their leadership benches and strengthen their teams. He also works with executive leadership teams to help drive their transformation strategies based on a best practices framework he developed for his widely praised book, The CEO Test. He's the author now of the new book, The Leap to Leader, How Ambitious Managers Make the Jump to Leadership. Adam, what a pleasure to have
1: you on. Thanks so much, Dave. Really appreciate it.
0: I am a huge fan of the corner office column that you wrote at the Times. I loved seeing it come across my feed. I was so bummed personally (laughs) when you sunsetted that project, but I'm so glad to be able to now connect with you and come to this book because so much of what you shared in in those columns, you've, you've distilled so much of the wisdom here. And before we get to what you've learned from others, though, I thought it might be fun to start with you. On just where your career began, and you refer to yourself in the book as a mild-mannered Canadian. (laughs) And um, I thought it was interesting because your first newspaper job, you said it felt to you like you were uncharacteristically demanding of the job and showing a lot of interest in it. But it's not the experience (laughs) that they had, was it? (laughs)
1: Yeah, exactly. And to me, it was an important insight that I share with um, a lot of people, especially as they're moving through their career and they say they want the job. And so, I'm, you know, as I mentioned, I am Canadian and and skew a little bit, sort of mild mannered. Like, let your work speak speak for itself, and it's better to be understated. My my first newspaper job coming out of grad school, like I really wanted this job, and I felt like when I was interviewing, it was i was being sort of very uncharacteristically not aggressive but assertive i mean i thought like i was practically pinning the editor and publisher up against the wall and saying you have to give me this job and that's how i thought i was coming across anyways the good news is they hired me but like later on they were saying to me one of them said to me it's like yeah we weren't really sure like you wanted the job and and it was just you're kidding me right <laughs> and I it I, for me the lesson was like the, sometimes there's a pr, could be a pretty big gap between how you think you're showing up and the perception of you and so I always encourage people like if you're going for promotion it, it can be easy to start thinking it's like well I need to play it cool I gotta hold back hold my cards close to my chest I gotta have some negotiating power and look if you're in a position where you're getting like quoted by three different people you can be in that position if you're kind of in the driver's seat but if there's a job you really want i think there's there's just no downside in being really clear it's like this means a lot to you and here's why it's really important you really want the job and i think i think that inspires the hiring manager because they want to see that it's really important to you so i always say again like sometimes people say i got to play it cool and it's like don't play it cool it's, Tell people, I really want this job, and here is why.
0: You write in this chapter of the book, there can be a big gap between how assertive you think you're being and going after a job and how the people you are pitching perceive you. And I I read that line, and I thought, so true for the interview part. But also, like as so many of the things we're going to talk about, I think in this conversation, there's actually some broad implications of that. A A lot of times we think like what we're doing in our heads is, Showing outwardly to others, but a big part of this is the actual behaviors we take on. That that makes such a big difference, doesn't it?
1: it? It does. And and the older I get, Dave, the more I realize that everybody's got their narratives in their own head. Like sometimes we we like to think, well, there's this kind of shared reality for all of us, but you realize that just reality is source material to borrow a phrase from a CEO I interviewed, and and everybody is sort of creating their own narratives. And just they have different perceptions of things. And so you you always have to like go overboard to really make sure that your message is clear and then it's landing well. And I'm dating myself here, but do you remember the old movie This is Spinal Tap, that mock documentary about the band? But there's this wonderful scene in there where the one of the band the band members aren't very smart and this one. The guitarist has has changed the numbers on his guitar amp to go to eleven instead of ten. Yeah, and it's, there's this very funny, sort of silly scene around that. And but to me, I, I use that as, and I encourage all your listeners go to YouTube, look up Spinal Tab, Spinal Tap, go to eleven. It's just a priceless scene. But the the actual message in all that is, I often tell people, it's like you got to turn it up to eleven, not in terms of volume, but sometimes you have to. Like like, just be a kind of outsized version of yourself to make sure that the message really lands that you intend because a lot of people are distracted, they might be thinking about it. they might have perception of things that that don't align with what you're communicating, so you really have to make sure that you're you're getting through
0: there's an element of this that is certainly about mindset. It's behaviors, but it's also mindset and how we approach our careers. And one of the most common metaphors that's used for career movement advancement is the ladder, right? We talk about this, the, the rungs of the ladder in so many different contexts. And you really invite us to think about our careers through a bit of a different metaphor, a pyramid. Tell me yeah. about the pyramid and what's, what's critical about thinking about a career that way?
1: Yeah. And, and so going back to the most common metaphor, career ladder, I mean, first of all, the, the problem with that is sort of, it's very linear and straight up. And usually there's somebody on the ladder above you, which means you got to take them out to get the promotion. Right. So it's yeah. just, there, there's a lot of limiting factors. And I've heard other CEOs that it's, they, they like the metaphor of, of the jungle gym because sometimes you move up, sometimes you move down, you help people over the wall. They help you. That's good too. My favorite metaphor is the pyramid. And it's this idea that as especially earlier in your career you should really be open to doing doing jobs that just broaden your experience because ideally if you build a really wide base right i mean the thing about pyramids is they are super stable because of that wide base and the 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 greater the breadth of experience you're going to have a more stable and secure career It also give you more opportunities to move up through different ways and i think it, it 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 also goes to this mindset of just being more open to opportunities. I often find when I'm I'm talking to people who are early in their career, they often have very specific career plans. Like they've they've drawn the map and they said, by this age, I want to have this title. I want to be making this much money. And five years after that, I want this title. And and I always say to them, it's like, that's not how the world works. Mm-hmm. Right. And and when you get to my age and look back on your career you, you're going to realize that your career path is much more defined by the relationships you build and the people you know and if you do a good job somebody's going to come to you and say hey you did a really good job there can you come over here and i know you don't have any experience in this but i'm going to bet on you i think you're you're just the kind of person who can solve problems take ownership take accountability and we'd really like you to do this over here and if you say it's like, well, that's really not part of my career plan, <laughs> like you, the bosses are going to get frustrated with you and you're going to get frustrated with them because they're not sort of aligning with your plans. And so I th- I think you just need to go through your career with being much more open to opportunities and surprise twists and turns and and just see everything as a learning experience and The greater the variety of learning experience, that will help create that really broad based pyramid that you can build on for your career.
0: There's this great line in the book bloom where you are planted. And I think about that in the context of the base of the pyramid that maybe your plan is to move a step up, right? And the organization has a different plan or the opportunity is way on the other corner of the pyramid, right? And rather than thinking about that as, this has taken me way off my planned ladder route, whatever f- however you frame it, of thinking about this is an opportunity to actually broaden my skill set and perform in an opportunity where i my skills are really needed right now
1: yeah and and to me it's 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 a bit of a paradox as i I think sometimes people get the the notion that if they are ambitious, they need to like let their bosses know that they are ambitious and you sort of you get in you do the job and it's like three months in you've got to start angling and lobbying for the next promotion and it it's a paradox because you you, you're probably more likely to get the promotion if you don't do that if you just do a really great job and bloom where where you are planted in effect like just own the moment own the job and and yeah, you can have the regular discussion with your boss at appropriate times about what you're, you'd are you like to do next, but just, just be focused on what you're doing in the moment. And then you're much more likely to get promoted because I've worked with people, I've had people work for me who were in that other camp and they were just always lobbying for a promotion and it just gets tiresome because sometimes implicit in that, in that, and that lobbying is like, okay, I'm doing okay now, but if you give me this promotion, then that's when I'm really going to do a great job. And it's like, that's not how it works. And I also try to advise people, especially when they're starting out in their careers, like there's this ideal of how organizations work, where they're sort of sitting back and everybody's looking at the talent and doing deep, careful assessments of all the people and what the next role from this It'd be nice if organizations work that way, but the way it works in reality is that organizations are, are kind of problems, right? They're just a series of problems and managers have problems. You can call them opportunities if you want, but a lot of the times they're just problems. Um, you know, I need somebody to fix that. I need somebody to build this. Who's gonna and and that's how they tend to promote people. They look around and say, Who am I gonna bet on here that just that I'm going to go to them, give an opportunity, and they're going to go, got it, I'm going to own this, I'll figure it out, I might have questions for you, but I've got this boss, thanks for the opportunity. Like That's the people you want to bet on, and and that's how you get promoted.
0: You quote George who one of the executives that you talk to in the book, and he says, one piece of advice I always give people is don't solve the problem that your manager or your boss tells you to solve. Which on its face you think like, huh, well that's odd advice, but there's a bigger message behind that, isn't there?
1: There is. And and I, I think it's a great insight and and I can build on that, but I, I do think that in some ways it, it gets to what I think is the core of the difference between a manager and being a leader and sort of the mindset and how you approach your job. Because if if you're a manager a lot of times your bosses are coming to you with some project and they usually have kind of expected outcomes in mind. Like we're, this is what we need you to do. And we're giving you resources to execute this. Please go execute this. And you, you have to do that well, right? You have to take what people have given you and and do it quickly and efficiently and do it well. But then I think that's when you start looking around. And as George says, I mean, maybe there's a problem that the company doesn't even know it has. And then you can sort of take that on. But you can also take something off your boss's plate. Maybe there is a problem that the company knows it has. It's not part of your job description necessarily. But that's how you distinguish yourself as a leader and set yourself apart is just Going above and beyond what's expected of you, and and solving problems that are outside the box of your particular task.
0: Years ago, I went to a lunch event at a client site, and one of their senior executives, their Fortune 500 uh, company, was given a talk, and he made almost the exact point you just made. Of he said, "If you look around the company, look at the senior people, the people who are you know have got all the fancy titles today." Inevitably, they're people who solved a problem, a big one, and he, and often several of them. And he said they weren't the problems that were advertised on the job description. They showed up, they saw a problem, they identified it, they and they figured out a way to address it. And maybe they didn't always do it perfectly but they helped the organization to really do something that was meaningful. And it gets back to what you just said a moment ago, Adam. It's like, you know, we, had, we do have this picture of like, okay, everything's sort of like perfectly planned out and people have thought this all through. But the reality is it's just a collection of problems and so many of the day-to-day things. And if if you can jump in and address that,
1: huge. Yeah. And and, and just having that mindset, I'm mean, I always tell people who are ambitious and they want to move up, it is so... Easy to set yourself apart from the pack. I mean, just there's like a handful of things, but you can you can set yourself apart pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of setting yourself apart, one of the phrases that is also featured in the book is the phrase "I need your help," and you attribute it to Rhonda Morris, a friend of yours. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a bit about that lesson from her and where's it that we tend to struggle with this
1: yeah and, and and so rhonda is is a friend she's the head of hr at chevron and i've known her for several years and we have an interview series on linkedin together called leading in the b suite in which we interview prominent black leaders and i've spent a lot of time with rhonda and and she told me that one of the things she figured out early on in her career is just the power of those four words is just reach out to people and say, I need your help. And if you just say it simply like that, it's amazing how people just jump in and say, how can I help? Right. And I, I think it's really powerful for a few reasons. One of them is like, I, I, I sometimes find, I don't want to be that 61 year old guy who sometimes says kids these days, but I I do find sometimes with the younger generation, they, Are a little uncomfortable saying, like, asking questions and I need your help and showing that they don't understand something. And I always tell people, it's like, ask questions. It's okay. There's, there's saying, I need your help is not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of strength because it shows you're engaged and you're, you're taking ownership and you're, you're getting help to, so that you can deliver on what's being asked of you. So I think, I think that's one of the reasons. Another reason is that people can go in their career and say, well, like I'm supposed to have all the answers. Like that's why they're promoting me and that's what they're paying me for. And I'm supposed to have all the answers and that's not how it works. And one of our mentors at our form at our firm says she often tells people, this is not a time to put on your Superman cape and fly around. Like it's, it's okay to ask your team, to ask for advice, to pull together sort of a personal board of directors to give you advice and there's there's just a lot of power in that, and the final point that I'll make, and this is something that I've I've come to appreciate the older I get, is that people often talk about resilience just being a, a great call quality, right? And it's sort of like the the more is better, and if more people have more resilience, that's great. But I I think we need to acknowledge that there that resilience is a double edged sword because a lot of people who are resilient you ask them about their stories, and they'll tell you about a time earlier in their life when they were in a really dark place, right? Faced a lot of adversity. And they just had that moment, like, if I'm going to get out of this situation, it's just me, and I got to rely on myself to do that. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a common theme. But what happens is, if, if that becomes your reaction, whenever you're in an adverse situation, you go to that place of like, I need to Just rely on myself to get out of this, that that can kind of cut against the habit you should be building of asking for help. So I always ask people like, this is an exercise in self awareness too. Like, are you comfortable asking for help? And if not, why not? And then wrestle with a little bit of that, but recognize that where you need to get to is being comfortable asking for help. And I have to say, I mean, after Rhonda told me about that, there's been a few times since then where I've sent people emails and the subject line simply says, I need your help. And huh. honestly, within like 10 seconds, you get an email response saying, I'm here. What do you need?
0: Huh? It's it's a hard question or statement sometimes for us to say because we feel like we have to have it all figured out. I, I know I hear from so many folks who take on, especially early in their careers, management roles, and they feel like they need to have the answer right. And and yet, really, like I think a lot of seasoned executives recognize. I mean, I'm thinking about what um, you talk about, Ursula Burns in the book, former CEO of Xerox, and a concept she calls get to zero, which there's kind of two sides of this. But but one of the sides, and I'll let you explain it, but, it, but it's this implicit realization that when you come into a new role, you're going to need to figure things out for a while. Like you don't, no one expects, I mean, I think in most organizations, no one expects on day one, you're going to hit the ground running and produce amazing results, that there's an aspect here of just Starting and asking for help and seeking advice and seeking mentoring that um a lot of times we don't stop to do or at least start with
1: yeah and, and and the getting to zero it's it's just another one of those great phrases and Ursula told me the story of of how how she uses it, and it's typically when somebody comes into our office and they've been in a new job for three months, say and They come in say, okay, like, I've done this. I checked the box. I'm ready for my next promotion. And that's when she gives them the get to zero conversation where she basically says, slow down. You need to understand something. So the first, let's say, three months on the job, we're investing in you, too, when you're figuring out how to do the job. You're not doing the job yet. You're figuring out how to do it. And so we are making an investment in you. And so that's kind of like below the line, right? And then then there's going to period when you're actually doing the job. And then there, there needs to be this third phase where you're adding value. You're transforming the job. You're going above and beyond simply doing the job and figuring out how to do it more efficiently, or maybe there's another dimension to it. But that's where our return investment starts paying off for those initial three months of when we're investing in you and that's when it balances out and sort of that's how you get to zero where the accounts are uh, essentially evened out and so i, I again I'm, I'm a sucker for a great metaphor a great insight and I, and I think it's just a great shorthand for people who are sometimes a little overly ambitious and and do think okay i've done this job three months now i've i've now checked that box on my resume i'm ready for something else it's like You got to own the job and you got to transform the job.
0: Yeah, it gets back to that bloom where you're planted concept, right? Of like really go above and beyond, shine, find the ways to solve the problem that hasn't been asked for, that really helps out the organization. And you said the word mentoring a bit ago. And I want to come back to that because I think that is something that also is often a struggle for a lot of folks of figuring out, like, how do they start in engaging in mentoring relationships? We all know that it's good for our careers. We all know that it helps us to advance and to uncover opportunities. And one of the invitations you make is just start small. Ask a really specific question of the people you're seeking advice for versus going and like maybe trying to identify or even asking if someone would be a mentor.
1: If you start small, that's, that's huge. And, and a much better approach, and and I I give credit for this insight to a woman named Shelly Archambault, the former CEO of, of Metric Stream. But when I interviewed her, I mean, she she really gave me the important insight that sort of the the five scariest words in the English language can be to ask somebody, "Will you be my mentor?" Right, and a lot of people mm. get asked that a lot, some stranger they've never met met before will come up and say will you be my mentor and you just sort of like your eyes widen and you step back because you have no idea like what this person is asking you in terms of time commitment or what they need or anything and so that can be very off-putting and so shelly makes makes the point that you you should adopt mentors and and without ever them knowing they are your mentors and 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 to start small and and her prescription is to go to somebody and ask them for a very specific piece of advice on a concrete problem you're dealing with. And they say, well, you know, on that, I think you should go left instead of right. And so then you go left and you go back to them and say, you know, I took your advice. It was super helpful. Thank you for that. Love to buy you a cup of coffee and then sort of introduce like another thing you're working on to get their advice on. And it's just, that's a much more sort of organic way to build that relationship. And then over time, they sort of become a mentor without even ever having that label on them because people do want to help. I think a lot of people want to give back, but I think there is a real art form of being a, a mentee, a protege, which is going to those conversations and having a very clear idea of what you want their help on. And you don't see that relationship as like trying to snow them. It's not a political You're not relying on them sort of to get you a promotion or something to to be super prepared for those conversations about what you're hoping to get from them. Because I've just over my career, especially when I was at The New York Times, I had a lot of people reach out to me and say I'd love to have a cup of coffee. And and sometimes I would say yes. And I was often struck by how unstructured the conversations with those were. I mean, sometimes I found myself like carrying the conversational ball and it's like, look, you asked to see me. I said, yes, we're sitting here having a cup of coffee in the New York times cafeteria. What do you want to know? And it was just, again, I was just surprised how a lot of people didn't really prepare for that conversation.
0: And on the other side of that, like you also tell in the book that sometimes people would show up with some really specific questions like, Hey, I'm, I've got this situation. I'm trying to work through this. Like, how would you suggest handling it, and giving advice, and then having them come back, like you said, and and actually share what worked. At the end of the day, even the to, the most top executive, whoever is is a human being. People love to hear someone having asked their advice, taking it, hearing what happened. Is there something natural about that that then makes us all? want to invest more in a relationship like that versus someone who shows up with a really unstructured, like, hey, I just wanted to get some face time with you.
1: Yeah. And 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 then as you say, like follow up afterwards, like say, thank you. That really helped. Like how, how often does somebody thank us during the day? Right. It doesn't happen very often. And And I think most people, you get to a point in your career, you've learned a lot and you, you get a lot of enjoyment from sharing what you've learned with others, but you you can't force that like somebody has to be genuinely interested in in learning from you and and it it's very authentic and genuine when it happens and that's why i think people invest so heavily in people when they do feel like they're making a difference in their lives
0: one of the points that has been coming up as a theme on the show in recent years is the importance of peer relationships and you write Your peers can undermine you if you are not careful, and they can help you if you invest in those relationships. Many people aren't aware of this common blind spot. They invest an inordinate amount of time managing up and down, but not sideways, neglecting this crucial group that can have a big impact on their trajectory. Adam, you've interviewed so many high-profile leaders. What do they say about this aspect of peer relationships?
1: Yeah, and- and One of the most consistent themes is it's just it's a very powerful lesson that if you have not learned it already in your career, you need to learn it, which is that those peer relationships are probably going to have the biggest impact on whether you get promoted or not. And to me, the context for this is just acknowledging that a everybody is so incredibly busy, right? Emails, meetings, everything all day long. And then you start thinking okay what are my key relationships well my boss first of all right like i've got to manage that relationship and if you're managing a team that takes up a lot of time you got to invest in them and make sure there's clarity and invest in their careers and so you can easily do that and say okay i'm done and then and then neglect those peer relationships and the point that just keeps coming back to over and over is like you you have to invest the time to build those relationships and to ask people it's like how are you is there anything I can do to help you and how can we work together and because when the opening comes up for somebody to be promoted and again I've heard this from so many people it is your colleagues who it ultimately comes down to them thinking look if Joe or Jane gets that promotion that's going to be a win for me too it's not going to be like, oh, they got it and I didn't. If there is this perception, it's like if that person moves into that role, they're going to lift the team. They're going to lift me along with them. And it's because of that trust that you built with those folks. And it, it, I acknowledge it can be hard because I think it's very easy to people to go like, I don't even have time to tie my shoes, let alone to have coffee with people in different departments. But you just have to make it. One of your priorities, because if you don't, if you don't build those relationships, sometimes people can go to dark places and they can people come up with narratives about their colleagues and sometimes cultures. I mean, I I often make the joke that the reason HBO ran Game of Thrones on Sunday night was to get people ready for work on Monday. (laughs) (laughs) Because a lot of cultures are kind of like Game of Thrones, zero sum, right? If if I'm going to win, you've got to lose. And sometimes there's just that natural dynamic. And so that you have to be very intentional about overcoming that and making sure that people see you as a super valued peer who has, who, who it's not just, you're not just about yourself. You're not purely self-interested. You want to help the team. You want to help the organization.
0: And it's part of the work of leadership, right? Like I, I think sometimes we think about leadership as like you described like it's our job, it's our manager, it's our direct reports. But we don't think about the bigger picture, the looking across the organization. We don't think about the dysfunction tax that you talk about in the book too, where it's like, okay, there's an element of dysfunction in every organization. like that's just the reality of it. Part of leadership is, Making peace with that those things are also really important. It's part of the work and, and looking at that as part of the job too versus, oh, I have to make time to build a relationship with a peer or navigate the organizational politics and thinking about those things as obstacles. But no, that actually is the work. That's a big part of the job.
1: Yeah, that's a great that's a great way to put it. And and it is, the ROI can be a little amorphous, right? Like you'd be putting a lot of that time and you say to yourself, I'm not sure what I'm getting from this, but you are, it's just, it's a little unclear, but it will pay off later.
0: I often ask folks when they come on the show, what they've changed their minds on. And I mentioned that to you, Adam, before we started recording, you said, yeah, I'm not sure I've had a big mind change, but I've I've some things have clarified and some perspective has clarified over time, and especially putting this book together, as you have brought this book together and brought these stories out into the world and shared them with so many more folks. What is it that's clarified in your perspective?
1: It it does go back to this this phrase that I heard from a CEO when I was asking about her. She had a very difficult childhood and she was bullied a lot and moved around a lot and just. A tough relationship with her parents. And, but she had this like incredibly positive attitude. And I just asked her straight up, I said, where do you get your positive attitude from? And, and she said these five words that I've never forgotten, which is that reality is just source material. And what she means by that is like, we're all going through our experiences every single day. And, but ultimately we are sort of editing, we are editing the films or, or writing the history books about our experiences and deciding what the narrative is, right? Like, was it a bad experience? Was it bad? But we learned a lot from it. And and I I just find as as I get older, the more I realize just how true that is, that as much as we feel like we are experiencing, we we are all experiencing reality the same way, I've just become much more sensitized to the idea that everybody's got narratives in their own head about their own experience, about shared experiences, just people's perspectives are often very different. And I think that points to a broader leadership challenge, which is that part of your job is as a leader is is as much as you can to provide that shared narrative. I, I think a lot about the word alignment these days and pre-COVID, I think that was synonymous with strategy, but I think alignment has much broader meaning now it gets to mission and purpose and values and guiding principles of companies and things like that because we're at this point in society where people can't even agree on facts let alone ideas and i think it's the role of leaders as much as you can to provide the shared narrative that when you are part of this organization when you are inside these four walls whether they're literal or metaphorical that we do have a shared narrative. And that's hard. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of communication. It takes a lot of simplifying complexity and really nailing the core messages. But I think it's just an important insight just for life in general, but for managers and leaders is just just to recognize that that as much as you think like, okay, the message is clear and we're on the team and we're a high-performing team, right? Like we all see this just to recognize like, no, everybody's telling themselves some kind of narrative and and you have to put in a lot of time and energy to, to make sure that it is a shared narrative.
0: Adam Bryant is the author of The Leap to Leader, How Ambitious Managers Make the Jump to Leadership. Adam, thank you so much for your work.
1: Appreciate the time, Dave.
0: If this conversation was helpful to you, several related episodes I'd recommend. One of them is episode 555, How to Nail a Job Transition with Sukinder Singh Cassidy. Thinking about this conversation for a couple reasons. One is because the message so much lines up with what Adam has shared in our episode today about, yes, there are key pivotal moments, of course, for all of us where we need to dial up that amp to 11, as he said, but... It's more important what we do each day in between those transitions, echoed by Sukinder in that conversation as well. We tend to think about our career transitions as key pivotal moments, do or die more often it's what we do in between those moments that's so key the other reason i'm thinking of her is she's featured in adam's book as well as one of the executives who's got so many wonderful pieces of wisdom to share with us episode 555 for that also recommended episode 617 how to start a big leadership role carol kaufman one of the top coaches join me in that conversation we talked about when you're beginning What are some things to think about? She echoed the message from Adam about the importance of peer relationships, but also so much more in that conversation on how do you really get started well. And then I'd also recommend episode 635, How to Start Better with Peers. Michael Bungay Stanier was my guest on that episode. We talked about his framework for the best possible relationship. We tend to do that a lot with our managers, with our direct reports, but we don't often think about doing that with peers. And yet it is such an important pivot point for us in our careers as we continue to grow and think about the next opportunity. Often it is our peer relationships that are going to be the deciding factor on how supportive others are in our career advancement episode 635 on a how-to actually get that process started. All of those episodes, of course, you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. If you have not already, I'm inviting you today to set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. It's going to give you access to a bunch of benefits inside of the free membership. When you have your free membership set up and you log in, one of the things you'll see inside there is courses. If you click on courses, you're going to see there are about a dozen free Audio courses that I've made available to you to provide you with a path forward to go into a bunch more depth on a specific area. One of them is making the most of mentoring. We talked briefly about the importance of mentoring in this conversation. I did a deep dive on that a while back on five key lessons that I think are key if you're going to really be able to utilize mentors and mentoring well. It is one of the about dozen audio courses inside of the free membership. If you haven't set up your free membership already, go over to coachingforleaders.com, set up your free membership. And if you already have a free membership, you may want to discover more about Coaching for Leaders Plus. It's an additional set of benefits for those of you who would like to go a bit further on being able to discover more insights to help to accelerate your learning. And one of the ways that we do that inside Coaching for Leaders Plus is through topic guides. I have posed a specific question, a topic area that I know is relevant to many of you, to our members, in supporting you and moving forward. And then, much like I do here at the end of episodes, I'm highlighting several key episodes I think you should listen to, but much more in-depth than I do here. We go into some details on each episode, what order you should listen to them in, what are the key points, what are some reflection questions, a video from me, Overviewing how I think you should think about that as far as your learning and a bunch more. It's one of the key benefits inside of Coaching for Leaders Plus. For more, go over to Coaching for Leaders. Plus. Coaching for Leaders is edited by Andrew Kroger. Production support is provided by Sierra Priest. Next week, I'm so glad to welcome Scott Shikeoka to the show. He is going to show us how to help others. Be seen and heard. Join me for that conversation with Scott next week, and I'll see you back on Monday.